Welcome to Thriving Entrepreneur with your host, Steve Kidd, third-generation minister and 30-year business coach. Listen in as amazing, world-changing authors, speakers, and coaches share their struggles and victories, and hear from best-selling authors' insight into how you, too, can live your life as a thriving entrepreneur. This is Steve. Welcome to Thriving Entrepreneur. Thanks for being with us here today. I so appreciate you. So glad that you're here, that you take time out of your busy day. I know all the amazing things that you're getting done in the world, and I'm honored that you take time out of the amazing life that you're living to be able to spend some time with us here today and hopefully to uplevel yourself again. Today, we want to talk about some new ways to do some old things, basically. Um, there's some exciting new concepts that I want to bring to you. First, let me remind you of a couple of opportunities that have come my way that I love sharing with you. First of all is if you would like to have a billionaire coach you and help you up-level your business, a gentleman who has started and sold 47 companies with none of them ever being a failure, it's an amazing thing. I mean, most any person that you talk to, other than that, they'll tell you, yeah, you know, I've had some huge successes and I've had some huge failures. It's amazing that he's had that. And he has a coaching program like none other that's at a rate that you'll just be, you'll be shocked how good it is. Feel free to reach out to me if you'd like to coach with Errol. Um, secondarily, coming up here in another week or so, I'm going to have the information for you. I've been teasing you about it. The ultimate or uh, the Complete Man Summit. Um, I'm one of the guest speakers on that. I was really honored to do the recording of my segment for that summit. Um, and there's some great opportunities for yourself or for the man in your life. So keep an eye out as we share more further information on that. We'll let you know. Today we really want to open our minds to the place of being available for there being a new way, maybe even a better way, to get some things done. Um, we should never be at a place where we're complacent, where we don't allow ourselves room and possibly even permission for there to be better, for there to be more, for us to... Um, learn a skill that's either a brand new skill or is something we've done over and over and over again, but to do it in a new way. Times continue changing, you know. I mean, I remember, you know, some of you that know me know that I've been in internet space since literally before the internet was called the internet. Uh, back in the days of bulletin boards and things like that, before there was connectivity between them, before there were web browsers, any of that kind of stuff. You know, I was I was in internet space even then. Um, and we've had changes. I, through the course of those years, um, have many, many times had people... Even, you know, like mainstream local, not local, but like national media, 
um, as well as a lot of businesses say, well, that'll never really catch on. I mean, the early days of the internet, most major industries figured that the internet was going to be a here today, gone tomorrow kind of a thing. They didn't see that it was or realize that it was um, you know, a new media that was going to be here to stay, much the same as, can you imagine our world without radio stations? I mean, we have TV, we have the internet, we have podcasts, we have all of those things, but when you get in your car and even, and radio's changed, absolutely, now, uh, I mean, once you get like some satellite radio stations and stuff like that, it can get really difficult sometimes to go back to just regular dial-in radio because it's like, you know, no, I found this station and they play all the music I want. You know, there's also the other side to that where they don't have the diversity, you know. Um, so it just depends. But, you know, I mean, so that industry has continued changing as well. Um, but it still exists. Imagine getting in your car. And I heard somebody tell me the other day that sometimes to help center themselves, they do actually turn off the radio. But um, for most of us, the radio is on when we're driving. You know, that perfect song comes on and you find yourself singing to it, you know, and maybe you're even dancing in your seat a little bit and you look over and the person in the car next to you is kind of staring at you like you're insane and have lost your mind. And that's okay. You just smile at them and then you just keep singing the song because it's just so motivational. There are those particular specific songs that just really can up-level your whole day um, and make you drive and um, make you have to look at the speedometer so that you don't go too fast. I know nobody else ever does that, but, um, you know, just in case. Um, <laughs> so, anyway, you know, I mean, the point is, is where would we be without radio? And yet, when the Internet came in, um, you know, there were two sides to that equation. There were people in the early days of the internet, even before podcasting existed, that they were purporting that um, they were going to destroy all other forms of media, especially the newspapers. In those early days, it was like, oh yeah, you know, in the next two to five years, there will be no more newspapers. In fact, there may not even be any more magazines. Well, I mean, even back then I told them, it's like, no, you know, there is something tactile about that newspaper, the, you know, there are some major newspapers as well as local newspapers that, um, you know, that a lot of people look forward to getting. And sure, you know, we go online, we check our um, information, we can download a bunch of stuff, downloading meaning reading it and taking it in, um, a bunch of stuff really quickly, but, um, you know, there are just so many uses beyond just using them for packing when you're moving. Uh, for even newspapers and magazines these days. And, um, you know, and I don't think they'll go anywhere. And the same thing's true when you talk about radio. You know, podcasting and iTunes uh, are hugely popular and, and so much fun. But um, I don't think you're ever going to find a time where there just is no radio stations because it's all been taken over by. Um, I don't even think you'll ever find a time where there are no... Uh, broadcast radio stations and it's gone completely 100% to satellite, you know. Um, I know that the cable company was, many years ago, uh, you know, was touting that they were going to eventually 
be the end of network television. Um, and yet, think about all of your favorite shows that are still on network TV. Um, you know, I wonder sometimes, uh, you know, I, I, I actually would prefer it sometimes if some of the shows that I really like would just drop the whole entire season right up front and just let me binge watch it at, uh, you know, whatever time for me, as opposed to having to, have to wait till next week, right? We get spoiled with binge watching these days, don't we? You can just watch, um, you know, the worst of it is when you binge watch the previous seasons of something that is only released each week, and then after you get caught up, then you have to wait weekly for the next episode, right? Um, so, you know, the point is, is that there's a lot of really great changes that we embrace. We a lot of times don't even know that we embrace them. But that doesn't discount the things before or discount the things that are coming. I mean, the way that ABC, NBC, CBS, and Fox have been doing television for years doesn't in any way negate the power of Netflix, of Hulu, um, even of YouTube. Um, how many times have you found yourself stuck down a rabbit hole because somebody sent you a YouTube video, right? You know, you see this one video and then you see the next one, and then right? <laughs> Those of you that have done it, and you all have, you know you have. Um, it just happens. It just is the nature of the way that our society is. And so in everything we do in our life, we see that. We need to embrace those kind of things in our business as well because there are some really amazingly great ways to do some same things. I was going to say new things, but I realized that that would be contradictory to everything I've been saying. To do same things, but do them in a new way. Do them in a fresh way. Do them in a way that maybe even is more uh, effective than what it was before. Um, a perfect example of more effective is when was the last time you actually broke out the yellow pages, thumbed through the page to the right category, and then found a business to do whatever for you? I mean, if you need something obscure, you know, like a plumber, um, you know, you're probably going to go on Google, do a search, look for a plumber, read reviews, and then pick one out, right? Same thing can be true in a lot of other areas. So it doesn't make the yellow pages obsolete yet. I mean, maybe someday it will, probably never. You know, it doesn't cease the other things. It just simply improves them makes them even better. And so there are a lot of things that I encourage you. Both these, both of the guests that I have today have some really great stuff to share with us to help up-level um, the way we're doing some things. But I also encourage you to really embrace, to look for even on purpose, the things that you do that you've always done it that way. That it's like, I do it this way because that's how I've always done it. You ever heard yourself say, think, or feel that? I encourage you to, first of all, open your mind to the new ideas, but then look at your systems and your processes and your structures, both in your life and in your business, and question, is there a better way? What if 
this could be better because I learn something new. Sometimes the greatest inventions come from necessity, but sometimes they just come from creativity of what would be another way of doing this. From throwing out that this is how we always did it and being open to how could we do it? What is a way that we could look at this and process it, do it differently? Now, I spent a lot of time setting that up for you because I want to bust through that natural tendency all of us have to be resistant to new ideas and be really open, in fact, actually excited as we move into these interviews with these people to discover some new ways to do some things that maybe you already are doing every day, but do them in such a way that they make a powerful and impactful difference in your life and in your business as you are the most effective you can be today. After all, isn't that what it means when we talk about living as a thriving entrepreneur? We're gonna take a quick commercial break and then we're gonna be back with a guest here on Thriving Entrepreneur. You've heard Kathy and I talk about it. You've seen the workshops. You have watched as others of your friends have become a best-selling author. And now it's your turn. Let me ask you this. What would being a best-selling author do for your business? Over 80% of people surveyed said that they want to write a book, which means that if you're listening, you probably are one of those people. Now is your time because you have a message that needs to be shared. That message is not for you. It's not for your ego. It is because it serves other people. Kathy and I are here to help you share your unique brilliance with the world. All you need to do is go to wehelpyouthrive.com, check us out, and find out how you can be a best-selling author today. Welcome back to Thriving Entrepreneur. This is Steve. Welcome back. Thanks for listening to Thriving Entrepreneur today. Today we are going to give you some new insight into some things that I bet you do with your business all the time. First up, let's look at something that you do or should be doing in your sales all the time and a new way to more powerfully make an impact in the effectiveness of it in your business. All right, referrals can be so powerful for your business, but are you asking for them? Or is there a way to even get them without asking? Well, let's find out. Today I'm joined by Stacy Brown Randall and she's gonna talk to us about generating business referrals without asking. Are you ready for that? Hey Stacy, glad to have you here with us. Thanks so much for having me, I'm excited to be here. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm really curious, you know, I mean, I've spent a lot of years in sales. I want to know about you first, but then also going into how to get referrals without asking. Yeah, you know, it's interesting when people always ask me, they're like, what makes you qualified to teach people how to get referrals without asking? Going against, you know, like decades and decades of how we've been taught. 
to generate referrals, which is typically through asking or paying or being overly promotional or gimmicky. And I always say um, sheer necessity and the grace of God. I actually learned my process that we'll talk about today because I actually had a business failure. I ran an HR consulting firm for four years. It did not quite make it to the five-year mark. And when I looked back on that business failure, I had to take a break and go back to corporate America before I would start my next business, which would be this business. But at the beginning, it was a productivity and coaching, a business coaching practice. And then eventually I would pivot it to teaching what I teach today. But when I looked back on that HR consulting firm and with those big name clients like KPMG and Ally Bank and BDO, like how and why did they fail? You know, I realized a couple of things that I didn't quite figure out that I needed to, and I didn't get off that filling the prospecting pipeline or filling up that funnel, that roller coaster you can get on when you're not filling it consistently in your feast or famine mode. And so I was still on it four years later and I was like, well, we cannot run a business like that. So when I started my second business, I was like, okay, let's figure this out. Do I, can I make a business successful? Do I, will I have another business failure? What did I do wrong in my first business? And let's apply some lessons learned. Let's have something good come out of this. And for me, it was like, okay, I got to fill that prospecting um, funnel. And there's lots of ways to do that. There's marketing ways, there's prospecting ways. But what I ultimately wanted were referrals. I mean, I wanted all my other lead gen strategies to work as well. And there's others that I use even to this day that I enjoy, like speaking on stage and I have a book and a podcast. And so there's other ways that I bring people into my, into my world, into my funnel, but referrals to me are the holy grail. And so when I started my second business, I was like, we got to finish, figure this referral piece out. I want to have a successful business. Just like everybody else, you know, I went to Google because they can tell you no wrong about what to do when you want information. And I Googled, how do you get referrals? And I didn't like what I found. And so I just set out to, for my own business to make it different and then eventually started teaching it to other people. Um, but truly, I think one of the most defining moments in my past, um, yes, I've had a lot of great jobs, corporate America, things like that, small businesses, but truly one of the most defining moments for me as to why I am here today is, is that business failure and what I learned from it. Sometimes that scar tissue that we have really is our best teachers. It is. It is. And you know, it's funny. People, I don't know how you feel about the word failure, but I'm all okay with it. Like a lot of people are like, oh, call it a lesson learned, right? Or like, don't call it a failure. I'm like, it's okay to label it as it is because it, def it doesn't define me as a human and as a person, but it definitely is that swift kick in the hiney. Anytime I start to get a little lazy with my business today, I'm like, wait, nope, not going back there you know, let's stay the course, let's do what we need to do. And it is a great motivator. Absolutely, it is. So talk to us about getting referrals. Um, what are the best ways for a person to get referrals? So there's actually four ways that we are taught today to generate referrals. And I always like to say this because there very well may be somebody listening to your show that's like, I like asking and it works for me. And I think that's great. I don't understand that methodology and it doesn't work for me, but there are multiple ways of how we can generate referrals. And one, of course, is asking for them. A second one is paying for them. Now I'm against paying for referrals when it's not in a fully disclosed upfront to the buyer, you know, to the client kind of environment. So like affiliates, things like that are fine because you know when you click on that link, right? You're, someone's getting paid and compensated. It's the, it's the behind the scenes. It's like, hey, if you send me some clients, I'll give you a 10% kickback, 
right? But we've been taught we can pay, we've been taught we can ask, and we've been taught we can be overly promotional and gimmicky. Things like putting in your signature line, the, the best compliment you can give me as a referral or something to that effect. And then there's the fourth way, the way that I teach it, which is, you know, actually you can generate referrals by really honing in and focusing in on your, on the relationships that you have with the people who send you referrals. And then through your gratitude and thankfulness for the referrals they're sending you, take really good care of them and plant some referral seeds in the process where they start thinking about you from a referral perspective, kind of in like an ongoing way, but they feel gratitude towards you because you're sharing gratitude and showing gratitude to them. So there's multiple ways you can do it. You, I always tell folks, pick the way that works for you, but if you don't wanna ask, you don't wanna pay, and you don't wanna be overly promotional and gimmicky, you can focus on the relationship with your referral source and use a different methodology to be able to trigger those referrals. So rock our world. Tell us how we can get referrals without even asking. So I always teach folks that the number one thing is I want you to make sure we're defining referrals the same. And the, the number one way to define a referral so that it's not confused with word of mouth buzz or word of mouth marketing or word of mouth referrals because those are like a referral and word of mouth is separate as is a referral from an introduction and as is a referral from a warm lead. A referral has two things those other terms don't have and we, we use those terms interchangeably so we've kind of diluted the definition and the power of what a referral really is. But a referral will always come to you personally connected. So when you receive a referral, you know it because a referral source has connected you with a prospect that needs to buy from you. And they have, everyone's on the same page. There's always that personal connection. That's where the trust is transferred. And there's always a need identified. That buyer showing up, that prospect showing up, it's because they have a problem and they need you to solve it. And so they have already, they have identified their own need in addition to then asking the referral source, who do you know, right? Or if the referral source helped them come up with this idea of, hey, you do have this problem. Now let me connect you to the right person to solve it. So there's always a personal connection and there's always a need identified. And that's what makes that referred prospect a true referral. The way that I teach generating referrals is number one, I make some assumptions about your business if you're starting in at step one with me, which is you do great work. You actually are referable. You're worthy of those referrals. Um, step two is, is that I believe all businesses deserve referrals, um, but you're not owed any. So you have to be willing to do some work. And then of course, you, when you think about how referrals fit, you have to be willing and understanding that we're not talking about marketing and prospecting, which are part of your sales strategy. We're talking about the third part of your strategy, that third leg of the stool, which is the referral side. So everything we do is different and you've got to be willing to think about it differently. And I'm assuming you're also getting some referrals if you're coming in at this part of my process. Now I teach how to turn people into referral sources, but I'm assuming at what the five steps I'm about to give you that someone's coming in and they're already referring you or that you have some referrals, maybe a couple, but you've got some referrals. So number one is we need to know who are your referral sources. This is kind of the, the step that I tell folks that can take the most amount of work depending on how far back you go with your data and how long you've been in business. But I need you to go back three to four years. If you've only been in business one year, so be it. You're just going to go back as far as you have. But you're going to go back, you know, three or four years in your business and you're going to pull your list of clients. And then hopefully you've been tracking how they came to know who you were. Like what source did they come through? Did they find you through a Facebook ad? Did they see you speak on stage? Did they stop by your booth at a trade show? Right? Did they answer an ad? Did they answer a direct mail piece you mailed to their house? Were they referred? Right? And who referred them? Like that's the kind of information I want you to have. And in chapter eight in my book, Generating Business Referrals, 
without asking. I walk you through this, so I won't go into all the details for this. I mean, it's right there in that chapter, chapter eight, because it can get, there are questions that come up with people as people go through this step. But effectively, you're pulling a list of your clients and you're um, either, you have this information in your CRM or you're going to have to come up with this information as to where do these people learn about you. And I give some tips of how to recreate this data if you need it, some best practices. But the first thing you're gonna do is get rid of everything in there that isn't a referred client. And then you have a client and who referred them. So now you have your referral sources and your list of clients who were referred, which side note, those are the best people to try to next turn into referral sources if the way your business is structured supports that. So step one is just ultimately know who your referral sources are, identify them. And we don't use anecdotal evidence. Like you would think that these people referred you because you kind of remember them talking about it. Like we look at the data from your business. And then ultimately what we're after is a combination of steps where we need a way for you to transcend keeping in touch with your referral sources to truly develop that relationship because referrals only come from relationships to truly develop that relationship with your referral source where you can actually be memorable and meaningful, top of mind, and giving you opportunities to plant referral seeds. And that's a kind of a couple of steps kind of all fit together, but it's this, this ultimate idea of being able to thank for the referrals that you receive, but then in between receiving referrals, how do you maintain a relationship with your referral sources so that you can be memorable and meaningful, have impact on how they feel about you, knowing that you're thankful and that you care about the referrals that they've sent to you. And then of course, making sure you're staying top of mind. So you're not doing something every month, but you're not thinking one thing a month, I mean, one thing a year will work either. So you're staying top of mind, memorable and meaningful, and you're able to plant referral seeds. And it's the referral seed language that we plant that really kind of makes all this work. So your referral sources continue to think of you and you continue to impact them in a way where they care about you because you're showing that you care about them and they think about you from a referral perspective because you're continuing to plant those referral seeds. And then once you kind of have all that plan in place, you know the language, you've got identified your referral sources, we just need to put it into a system and do into a process because we're all busy business owners. And at the end of the day, we, it's nice to have some things that can just be a process that we can systematize and delegate and outsource and automate some pieces of it, but really we know what to do. So we end up execute on, executing on it when the time comes throughout an entire year. And then we, of course, wash, rinse, repeat, and start all over again the next year. So I know there's a lot of people that are listening that as much as they know they should be asking for referrals, they never do. <laughs> um, what do you think, why is that? Why do people feel uncomfortable asking for referrals, especially from happy former clients? Yeah, and I think it's ultimately why I teach what I teach is that, you know, people, they say that to me all the time. They're like, I know I should be asking for referrals. And I'm like, why? It's awful. They're like, yeah, that's why I don't do it. It makes me uncomfortable. It makes the person asking uncomfortable. Like there's something that doesn't fit for who I am. I'm like, and you shouldn't be asking. Actually, when you ask for a referral, you're actually manufacturing something that doesn't exist, which means you're forcing a process. And the referral process, when you truly understand why referrals happen from a human dynamic and a psychology perspective, you would understand like, like oh yeah, I shouldn't be asking. Like you can understand how that can actually commoditize the relationship and how it can actually force a part of a relationship that should be occurring naturally. Now, why we plant referral seeds instead of asking is because we definitely want them thinking about us from a specific um, perspective, but ultimately you should not be asking for referrals. Yet I understand that people are like, 
well, I feel like I should be because for 30, 40, 50 years, that's all the sales trainers and marketers and people out there teaching about um, lead generation have been telling us when it comes to referrals. And the reason for that is, is because for so long, we have looked at a sales strategy with two buckets. And that is we looked at it from a prospecting activities that we do and those prospecting activities like cold calling, cold emailing, right? Networking, they fit under our sales strategy. And then we have another bucket, a marketing bucket, and that may be our website, maybe it's Facebook ads, maybe it's earned media. You know, everybody has different things that fit in those, that prospecting bucket and that marketing bucket. And both buckets are important. You need both buckets. I just need you to add a third bucket. And the third bucket is the referral bucket. And when we teach people to ask for referrals or pay for referrals or to be overly promotional and gimmicky to get those referrals, we're trying to take marketing and prospecting tactics and apply them to referrals. And that's just not what a referral is. And you're not even, when you think about it, when I'm doing prospecting or marketing, my end user is the client, right? Is the prospect that I want to turn into a client. When I do marketing, I want my, I want that potential new client to see my Facebook ad or open up that magazine where I have an advertisement in it and then want to reach out to me. Like we're talking and prospecting marketing to the end user, to the buyer, to the prospect. In the referral world, we're not. We're talking to the referral source who happens to know the end user, the prospect, that potential buyer for us. So of course, everything we do from a referral perspective has to look and feel different than it does from a marketing or a prospecting perspective. There are some sales trainers that just rolled over in their grave with everything you just said. <laughs> I know, but remember, this is why I started with, hey, if asking works for you, ask. If it doesn't, here's just another option. <laughs> But it's true. I know I am a contrarian and I have people say it to me all the time. Actually, it's funny. I was on a sales trainers podcast um, and he he's well known in the, in the space for sales training. And he doesn't teach that you should ask for referrals, but he definitely says you should get them. And it's funny. I was on his podcast and he said, you know, he goes, we all teach this thing about referrals. And a lot of people teach the asking because we didn't know any other way. He goes, I've never had an interview where I've taken so many pages of notes and learned something different from something I've been teaching for years. And I always say, I was like, it's, it, you know, it's like everything has its time to come, right? And for a lot of us who don't wanna ask, it was time for us to have a different way. So, you know, a lot of times, once we then get a referral, there's that whole other element from that person. So the question becomes, with the person that made the referral to us, what do we do next? What do we do for, with that person that made the referral um, to us. Yeah, so it's really important we're always thinking through how we are going to continue to strengthen and build the relationship we have with our referral source. And so the number one thing I always teach people is the very first thing I need you to do once you received a referral, after getting excited for a minute, right, is to make sure you're gonna sit down and you're gonna handwrite a thank you note, a handwritten thank you note that you wrote that you didn't ask anyone else to write on your behalf because you think you have bad handwriting, but your own handwritten thank you note because that tells the person they are worth your time to sit down and write them a thank you note and it's impactful. Now, of course, you're not gonna create a referral explosion and get a whole bunch more referrals just because you sent one thank you note. But it does help answer the question, why should I give you more referrals if you can't acknowledge the one I just gave you, which is why we need to send that handwritten thank you note. And I'm a big proponent 
and making these things personalized. And so it's gotta be you and your handwriting. And I know not everybody's gonna sit down and write that 60 second thank you note right after receiving a referral, but within a couple of days, you really should have it in the mail and sent to them. So even if they made the referral to you, say via Facebook or um, an email or whatever, uh, you still wanna sit down and write them a thank you note. Absolutely. I mean, obviously, however they sent the referral to you, you want to reply with a thank you and to connect with the prospect, whatever mechanism, right, or delivery method they use. So if they, you know, tagged you in a Facebook post and said, you've got to talk to Steve, he's amazing, right? Then definitely you want to respond to that Facebook post. Oh my gosh, thanks so much for the referral. And then direct the rest of your comment to the prospect that they just, you know, was telling you about or telling them about you. Same thing with an email. You definitely want to hit reply all on that email and thank the referral source for referring that prospect to you. And then, of course, have the rest of your email be directed towards the prospect about setting up a time to talk or however you use, however your methodology works from your sales process. But in addition to that, you still need to send a handwritten thank you note. People ask me all the time, I actually just did a podcast episode, episode 90 on my podcast, Roadmap to Grow Your Business. I just had someone ask that question. They're like, do I, do I do both? Do I send the email thank you and the thank you note? Isn't that too much? I'm like, no, you need to be doing both. And I kind of walk through why on that episode. I can see how that could be a whole nother episode we could do just all about the how to be thankful and why. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So you've given us just a ton of information today. Um, and I want to make it simple for the folks that are listening. Um, for somebody that wants to start down this path that hasn't ever done it before, um, besides, of course, going out and buying your book, what is kind of the first thing that they can do? Yeah, the first step I tell everyone to make, and I think it kind of helps you figure out, well, there's two things I would say, but I think they help you figure out where you are and where you're going, is number one, go back to that step one I talked about of my process and really identify your referral sources. Get clear on who your referral sources are. Do you have enough? Do you have any? Do you have a lot of them, but they haven't referred you in a couple of years? So maybe they're more inactive than, act than active. And really get clear on who your, who your referral sources are. That is always an excellent first step because I always tell folks, my program, regardless or not, you will start thinking about them differently and what you can do when you can put a name to who these people are. And you will automatically just start thinking about them differently because now they're people they're not an abstract, right? So it's like, oh, I, wait, I, I seeing him next week. I should make sure I, I thank him for that referral he sent me four weeks ago because now you, those names are in front of you. So that's the first thing I would do. And the second thing that I would do, and I always tell folks is, is like, I'll figure out where you are in your ability to generate referrals if you want to do it without asking. And I have like a nine step, like nine simple quiz, sorry, not nine steps, nine quiz question where you can just go in and take this free quiz and figure out like, are you a beginner? Are you at the end training level? Are you at the master level? You can just go through that quiz and figure out like, okay, where are you? And what are your skills at your ability to generate referrals without asking? And what does that look like to have a plan and to know your referral sources and get the data you need for where your gaps are? Because once you take that quiz, it'll tell you what level you are and then the gaps you need to close. So your book is called Generating Business Referrals Without Asking a simple five-step plan to referral explosion um, written by Stacy Brown Randall. Um, Stacy, for somebody that wants to dive deeper with you, of course, besides getting the book, um, how can they go further with you? 
Yep, so my home base is stacybrownrandall.com. Of course, you can find that quiz I was talking about there. You can get a free chapter of the book. Of course, you can always purchase the book as well. Or you can just take the next step. You can join my free Facebook group, Referrals Without Asking, or make the decision to join me in my Growth by Referrals program. But I always tell folks, take the quiz first or read the book first. Get comfortable with my methodology and what I believe and the philosophy that I teach you, and then decide it's time to take the next step. Really, really great information, Stacy. I really appreciate you spending some time with us on the show today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Some great ways for us to be able to reach out to our clients, to the people that we already know, the people that already know, like, and trust us, and be able to say, hey, how can I serve you more, and how can I also help the people that you have around you without being kind of that old school pressure kind of thing that a lot of people frown on these days when it comes to things like referrals. I hope you got a lot out of that. I really appreciated all of that information. And I hope that that will help you live as a thriving entrepreneur. We're going to take our next commercial break and we'll be right back here on Thriving Entrepreneur. You've heard Kathy and I talk about it. You've seen the workshops. You have watched as others of your friends have become a best-selling author. And now it's your turn. Let me ask you this. What would being a best-selling author do for your business? Over 80% of people surveyed said that they want to write a book, which means that if you're listening, you probably are one of those people. Now is your time because you have a message that needs to be shared. That message is not for you. It's not for your ego. It is because it serves other people. Kathy and I are here to help you share your unique brilliance with the world. All you need to do is go to wehelp.com youthrive.com check us out and find out how you can be a best-selling author today welcome back to thriving entrepreneur this is steve welcome back so in the first segment we learned a new way as sales professionals to get the most powerful type of lead that referred lead in a much more successful way now what we want to do is turn our attention to finance, to our money. One of the biggest conversations that has to be had over and over and over again, and when there are new innovations and great ways to relook at it, I want to always be here to provide that to you so that you can up-level your both wisdom and understanding as you approach everything you do and you live out your life as a thriving entrepreneur. So let's see what more we can learn, what new things we can learn today about finance. What is the future of finances? With everything that's going on, there are so many things and so many different opinions, but let's bring in an expert. Let's talk about what's going on financially and what kind of things you can do in order to really be able to be financially secure, regardless of what's going on. So join me in welcoming Tracy Bissett. Hi, Tracy. How are you today? Great. Thanks for having me, Steve. 
Okay, so you're on a mission to redefine the world's economic future by increasing financial literacy. But tell us a little bit more about who you are and what got you to this point. Absolutely. So since I was a little kid, I've absolutely loved money. I, I learned from a very young age that uh, it could facilitate things that you wanted or experiences that you wanted to have. And in my family, we had the money that we needed to do things, but we didn't have a lot of extra. So if I wanted to go to the store and, and buy some treats, if I wanted to buy books when I got older, I realized that I could do things to make money to get to those things that I wanted. And so um, really studied that in, in business school, went on to work in a big bank for about 16 years uh, on a full-time basis and really worked in the areas of commercial lending and risk management. So really close to entrepreneurs and helping them get the money that they needed and kind of parallel during all that time, it's really my passion to help uh, young people learn about money. And so I was doing that on a volunteer basis. And when I left my corporate role, I, I spent some time thinking about what are all the things that I like to do? And so I, I put together my love of working with entrepreneurs, helping them in their business, my love of helping people learn about money, take the mystery out of it. And so I started my own, my own company about three and a half years ago, Fisit Financial Fitness, which really comes at it from a positive angle, the uh, financial fitness um, in that you can do something today that makes you more financially fit than yesterday. And I really serve uh, young adults as well as entrepreneurs. And sometimes those audiences intersect. So for somebody who doesn't know or has wrong opinion of it, define for us what it means to be financially fit. Uh, so, I mean, there is probably one or two goals that people are going to have, but it's different for everybody. So if we think about it from a physical fitness analogy, um, you may be taking that first step off the couch. You're going to go on a walk around the block. From a financial standpoint, you might be just starting to learn about what are different bank accounts, what's a budget, things like that. And so for you, you're improving your financial fitness. Or we can be really on the far right of the spectrum. Physically, I could be training for marathons. And, and conversely, with um, financial fitness, I could be a really sophisticated investor and, and you're learning more. So um, to me, it's a journey. Everyone should evaluate where they are and take steps to, to move themselves forward over time. And everyone's not going to get to the same place. And everyone doesn't need to be in the same place. So there's not one uh, vision of success, not one model of that. Okay, so... Um, you know, we're in some pretty volatile times financially, mm -hmm. um, but does that mean that everybody should just kind of bury their head in the sand and be afraid or is, are there some ways to be financially fit even when the market is this crazy and those kind of things are going on? Yeah, I think the first thing that's really important is to um, be calm. And I know that it's hard sometimes people are seeing their uh, portfolios kind of plummet. And so just being calm. The second thing I really recommend is that people get the facts. When you started investing, if that's what you've got your money tied up in, what were the goals? So, so think about, is this for a long-term position? Is this for retirement or was I saving for something um, closer in the future? And so to be grounded in facts and then um, figure out a plan to move forward in the next little bit. Now, things are going to probably remain uncertain for some time. Um, but if you're feeling uncomfortable that maybe you don't know your financial position as well as you should, reach out and get some help. 
Um, that may mean you're reading some blogs, you might be listening to some shows on YouTube, you might be listening to podcasts. But the really great thing for entrepreneurs as well as um, individuals is that there's so many resources out there uh, where you can find someone that you relate well to, somebody who speaks a language that you get um, that can bring some of that calm and education into your life. Um, and then you may want to reach out to, if it's for your business, to a business coach to help say, you know, I've kind of buried my head in the sand for years uh, about the numbers. I really don't understand my financials. Uh, I don't understand what cash flow is and how might I manage it. I know I don't have any right now because people are, are canceling contracts or whatever the situation might be. Um, but take this time to, to start doing some education. Um, as well on the individual side, reach out to financial advisors or planners. And those individuals as well are going to have um, up-to-date knowledge on what government programs are available, what other resources are available in the community um, that can assist because there's going to be a, a range of, of challenges that people face and there, there will be ways to solve those. Okay. So I know one of your standard questions on your one sheet is, um, how you can, as a business, be certain of what you can and can't afford in five minutes or less. Is that still applicable right now? I, I think that, um, yes, you can get to the answer relatively uh, quickly. It may not be an answer that you like. And so really what that's around is thinking about your cash flow. And really simply what that means is how much money is going to come in how much goes out and the timing that it happens. Um, you can certainly do it on a piece of paper. You can do it in Excel. You don't need any fancy tools to do that. Um, but by getting back to the facts and staying rooted into the current situation, then you can see what is the magnitude of the issue you might be facing. And so maybe it means that's going to help you make some potentially challenging decisions. Maybe you do have to lay off some staff. Um, maybe you have to defer investments in equipment or other things for your business. Or it might give you the um, confidence that you need if you had some cushion in your business in terms of the cash flow, if you had some savings um, banked there for future investment. It might give you the opportunity to capitalize on uh, a product or service that people need right now um, because not all businesses are suffering. So look at it critically. What can I do and, and can I take um, advantage and not to anybody else's um, uh, well-being, but certainly is there an opportunity in the market that can actually be good for my business and can I leverage potentially my savings that I've got here in the company to, to maximize that investment? So um, great question on the sheet again is how can you actually get paid from your business? Mm -hmm. well, uh, most of the entrepreneurs that I work with, uh, their revenue is, is around a million or under a million could be a little bit higher all the way up to 2 million in sales, um, ranging from all different industries. And one of the consistent themes I see across all of those businesses, product or service is that they're not getting paid enough. And so it's really important when you are determining your pricing and that you reevaluate it regularly, that you are charging what this product or service is worth and what the value that it provides is worth. And, and people, um, get very emotional about money. They become very irrational. And so when they're putting their product or service out into the market, they don't want to charge too much. They don't want people to think that they're charging too much. But if what you're offering is valuable, there is a, um, a price that should be put on that. And it's usually higher than where you are. 
Um, another thing is to, to validate it in the market to make sure that it, it is what the market can bear and you're not pricing yourself out of the market. But if you offer something that is different and it has value to the people who will use it, um, you should be pricing as such. Um, because what happens when you don't price um, your product or service where you need to be, um, then your profit overall doesn't end up where it needs to be. And then you're not going to get paid. You won't be able to take out that compensation. So maybe now you're not living up to commitments that you made to your family. Maybe you're not going on those vacations. Um, maybe you're not doing other things that you had expected. And nobody goes into business not thinking they're going to get um, that they won't have a regular paycheck. People go into business thinking that that will be the case, but oftentimes the reality is there's just not enough left to, to support that regular paycheck coming out. Perfect. So, you know, financials, uh, anything to do with finance really is often very scary for people. Why do you think that is? Why, why are people so freaked out about the numbers in their business? Well, it starts at a really a young age, Steve, and I, I've had little kids as young as five tell me that money is this evil thing that, that they know, and they don't really know what money is when they're five years old, but if you think back to your own childhood, what were the things that were happening in your family? Was there yelling? Was there crying? Was there stress? Um, kids pick up on all of that, and you form your views and your reactions to money really, really young, and so those stay with you, whether or not you realize it, they're always under the surface. And so majority of people in the world come from this place of a scarcity mindset and they feel that there's never going to be enough fear around money comes. Um, if I'm doing well, that must mean you're not doing well um, because we couldn't possibly both be doing well. And so that's perfectly normal. So for anybody who feels that way about money and really um, either puts their head in the sand or constant worries around it, that's very normal. And, and the majority of the population feels that way. Um, but the good news is that can be changed. And so take some time, but you really want to be thinking about things that you're grateful for. Um, and gratitude is a really great way to start opening your mindset to see the positive. And it might sound a little hokey and, and people may be kind of uh, shaking their head when they're listening, but did you wake up today? Were you able to get out of bed? Did you have a shower? You had clothes to, to wear? You had something to eat? And by focusing on positive things, then you start to see the possibilities that are out there. And so that kind of opening of your mindset coupled with really practical tools and tactics around how do I learn about money? How do I manage cash flow? How do I even uh, have a regular meeting with myself about it? Those things put together really can change the way that you come at uh, the financials in your business and even your personal life. Perfect. So for somebody who would like help from you to become financially fit, um, how can they go deeper with you? Absolutely. And so the best place to reach out to me is on LinkedIn. Um, I respond to all the messages that I get. And if you just have some worries or you just want to learn some more, um, definitely send me a message. Uh, certainly have a, a gift for those who are listening who want to get started and they're hearing this today and not really sure where to start. Uh, one of the most important things in your business with your financials is to, to review them regularly and know where things are so that you're, if you are worrying, you're worrying about something that's true, not something that you've kind of got in your mind of what you think might be happening. And so I've got a money meeting agenda for everybody and you can download that at cashcoach.biz. And that way you can get started if you're in a business where you are the, the, the sole leader, have a meeting with yourself, book it into your calendar every week. And maybe the first meeting is just looking at this agenda and kind of making sense of it. 
Um, if you do have a partner in the business or multiple partners, having that regular time to talk to them. So certainly um, a great resource, a money meeting agenda, which you can download at cashcoach.biz. And I would love to hear from people on LinkedIn. Send me a message. Would love to hear feedback and questions. And um, always great to talk to people. Perfect. Well, Tracy, I really appreciate you spending some time on the show with us here today. Thank you very much. It's been my privilege. It is always good to make sure that we are doing the best we can with our finances and that we are open to new and better ways to learn more about it, but then also take action and really do the things that can massively impact our financial well-being. It doesn't have to do with how many zeros you have in the bank necessarily, um, but more about how you make use of whatever amount of dollars you have. Being able to stretch that money and use that money wisely is always something that we want to be able to do. We come down to the end of another show and you know it just feels like it always just flies by, right? Um, time comes, great information, you've got pen and paper, you're taking notes, all those kind of things. And I hope that you have up-leveled yourself a little bit. You've learned some new information. You've, because we started out the show talking about having an open mind, you went into it with open-mindedness and you have embraced some things that will help you live a better life and run your business more properly. Um, it's always important, powerful, and impactful to be able to do that. And now I want to take a couple minutes and I want to encourage you that now really, 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 truly is the time for you to be the best version of you, for you to reach out, for you to do the thing that only you can do. If you don't do it, nobody else is going to. Nobody's going to show up at your house and say, hey, I'm having problems with it. I mean, your best friend might, but nobody, you know, just a general generic, you've never met them client is going to show up at your house and say, hey, I'm really struggling with this thing. I know that you have the uh, uh, answer for it and uh, please help me. You know, there is not a door to door, um, you know, salesman, <laughs> not really sales, but, you know, a person going door to door saying, Hey, do you have expertise in this thing? Could you help me with it? Hey, do you have expertise in this thing? Can you help me with it? I mean, imagine how much it would freak you out if somebody came to your door and said that. Um, it's just not going to happen. It's not magic. It's about having an intentional marketing strategy. The things that really, truly succeed in life come because... We're open, number one, yes, that we grow, we learn, we prosper, but that we have an intelligent marketing strategy, a on-purpose plan and system for taking what we're doing and sharing it with the marketplace. And that begins by being open, but then it also uh, you know, encompasses being open to our own self too. We talked a lot in this episode about openness to other people's messages and learning new things. We need to also be open to our own message, to the new things that are happening inside of our heart, mind, soul, spirit, right? 
we need to be open to learn to grow and from that to prosper when we are open then we are available in ourselves to the most impactful part of ourselves doesn't that sound awesome you want a little piece of that don't you it's right inside of you you have the secrets to the universe stored up inside of you and you just need to simply release them out into the world and yes there is no better way to do that than your book being a best-selling author is literally the number one highest ranked influencer credential that you can have in 2020 there will be a time when that changed you know 20 30 years ago being a doctor having a doctorate of any sort whether that be a medical doctor phd in kind of thing that was the it when a person was doctor so and so they were the guy that knew their stuff in modern society being the best-selling author on a subject is the most powerful way to impact the people that you're meant to serve and that's who it's for it's not about us it's about reaching the people that we were meant to serve and reaching them powerfully and impactfully with that message that only we can share so I really encourage you today to take the time to make the time to do the things that only you can do because you are uniquely brilliant you were created for a purpose and the world so needs you it's time to share what you have to put it in a book to make yourself a bestseller to do like Seth Godin said and if you want to find the person who you want to hire for a thing look for who's the person that wrote the book on it that's who I want right that's who all of us want and for somebody else you're exactly the answer that that person is looking for be that answer in somebody's life today do those things that only you can do to help others as well as yourself live as a thriving entrepreneur until next time i really truly do hope that you will have a great week thanks for listening to thriving entrepreneur today if you want to get your question answered send an email to questions at wehelpyouthrive.com we look forward to you joining us again next time You've heard Kathy and I talk about it. You've seen the workshops. You have watched as others of your friends have become a best-selling author. And now it's your turn. Let me ask you this. What would being a best-selling author do for your business? Over 80% of people surveyed said that they want to write a book, which means that if you're listening, you probably are one of those people. Now is your time because you have a message that needs to be shared. 
that message is not for you. It's not for your ego. It is because it serves other people. Kathy and I are here to help you share your unique brilliance with the world. All you need to do is go to wehelpyouthrive.com, check us out, and find out how you can be a best-selling author today.